of Acts. Um, and uh, in Acts chapter 5 uh, today, and, and so thankful for the, the scriptures that he has brought out and, and, re- and gave revelation to us through the past couple weeks. And um, But as we get into this week's uh, sermon, I want us to understand that as we do what it is that God has called us to do, as we uh, go out and be obedient to him, that we will eventually face pushback. Amen. That we will face pushback. People will not like what we're doing. People will come against us. People will work against us. Um, But I'm thankful that Scripture gives us this example, teaches us lessons about pushback, about these things that we may face. So Acts chapter 5, verses 27 through 42 is the Scripture we'll be reading um, this morning as we delve into what it is that God has has laid upon our hearts. We'll have some other Scriptures that we'll put up on the screen as well. But Acts chapter 5, verses 27 through 42 is our main scripture this morning so if you want to read with us on the screen or turn to your bibles you're more than welcome to but the scripture reads like this it says and and they had brought them and when they had brought them they set them before the council and the high priest asked them saying did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name the name of jesus right and look you have filled jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood on us this man once again is jesus But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered, by hanging on a tree. Him God has exalted to his right hand to be prince and savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses to these things. And so also is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were furious and plotted to kill them. Then one in the council stood up, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in respect by all the people, and commanded them to put the apostles outside for a little while. And he said to them, Men of Israel, take heed to yourselves what you intend to do regarding these men. For some time ago, Theodos rose up, claiming to be somebody. A number of men, about 400, joined him. He was slain. And all who obeyed him were scattered and came to nothing. After this man, Judas of Galilee, rose up in the days of the census and drew away many people after him. He also perished, and all who obeyed him were dispersed. And now I say to you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this work is of men, it will come to nothing. But if it is of God, you cannot overthrow it, lest you even be found to fight against God. And they agreed with him. And when they called for the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. So they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple and in every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Man, this is Acts chapter 5, verses 27 through, through 42. Let me, real quick, for those of you that may have not have got to read the fifth chapter of Acts this week, let me kind of lay out um, what has occurred up to this point in the chapter. At the beginning of the chapter, we see that the, the people that are following after Jesus, these new converts, are coming together in a united fashion, right? They're coming into to one place and one manner of being. They're, they're selling possessions and they're, they're bringing all the money, pulling it together to serve those that are in need, right? Those that have less, those that have something that, that they're lacking and whatnot. And they're pulling us all together uh, to be in one body, one mind, one accord, this united front, basically. 
And we see that there's two individuals, Ananias and Sapphira, husband and wife, that they sold a certain piece of property, the Bible says, that they had, they had possessed. And, and they knew and they talked amongst each other and they got to the point where they said, hey, we're going to tell the disciples we, we're going to give all of our proceeds to them, but we're not going to let them know exactly what we actually sold the property for. We're going to hide some things. We're going to be deceitful, right? They weren't commanded to give. They weren't told to give. It was something that many were doing out of the, uh, being compelled of, of, their, uh, of their own hearts. Um, and they were following suit, but they wanted to keep some back with themselves. We saw some, they see hypocrisy in their lives. Because of their hypocrisy, their deceitfulness, them lying, not to, Peter says, not just to us, but you're lying to the Holy Spirit, right? Because of this, they, they die, right? They take their last breath in this moment. Um, but it says that after that, and even as they continue through, that the Spirit is working in a great and a mighty and a powerful fashion. I Many signs and wonders are being being done day in and day out by the apostles, by the disciples, that God and the Holy Spirit was moving in a powerful way, so much so that the, that the Sanhedrin court, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, the ones that had talked to the disciples beforehand, talked to Peter and John and these others beforehand, had got to the point where they arrested some of the apostles, brought them, and they were thrown into the common jail, the Bible says, and they were going to be put on trial the next day. Well, during the night, an angel came to them and released them from that jail and allowed them to go. But they didn't go home. They didn't run. They didn't hide. They didn't go to some far country. They didn't try to hit the road and get out of town. The Bible says that they went to the temple and began to teach, right? The, the courts, they gathered together that next day, and they went and sat for them to come out of the jail. And, and they weren't in the jail. And they said, where are these fellows? And somebody said, well, they're teaching in the, in the temple. So the Bible says that they sit in the guards, and they gathered the men together, and they, they brought them in peacefully into this, into this, this trial. That's what we see here is about to happen. And, and they go before trial, once again, as they've done many times before, um, in the Sanhedrin court. And that is the, the scripture that we pick up with here in verse 27 is some of the response and the questioning that the Sanhedrin court has of, of Peter and John and, and the apostles. And what we can see through this and see through the story up to this point as we get to the rest of the scripture is that the disciples were being opposed, Right? Did you know that everyone doesn't like you? Did you know that? Maybe that might be news to some of you, right? Now, Esther, I don't know, but I think everybody might like Esther. I don't know if Esther's ever ruffled a feather in his life, besides maybe Donna sometimes, but we don't even know about that. <laughs> a lot. But everybody doesn't like you. That, that's 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 the reality. If it's news or if that's something you've known all your life, everybody just, just doesn't like you. Right, for different reasons. Right, some reasons we may never know. But sometimes people might not like the area you come from. They might not like this part of town, or this part of the county, or this part of the state, or this part of the country, or this part of the world. Right, and they don't like anybody from this area. Right, maybe that's it. Maybe maybe it's the way you walk, maybe the way you talk, maybe the things that you have, the house that you live in, the whatever it may be, the family that you have, the decisions that you've made in life. What? But those reasons that people just just don't like us sometimes. That, that's just that's just evident, right? That it's always going to be, that will never change. The Bible even says in one place, woe unto the man that everybody speaks well of. Woe unto the one that everybody likes. He says, that's, that's not the way you should be. We're going to have people that dislike us, that oppose us. And sometimes that opposition comes because of our beliefs in certain things. Our religion, who we believe in, who we follow, who we trust, the Bible that we read, all these things. Opposition comes because we believe and are trying to be obedient to God. Right? And that's what we see with these apostles here, right? We see that the Sanhedrin court was opposing, was opposed 
to what they were doing. Three different verses that we can read here. Verse 28, verse 33, and verse 40. It says, saying, did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? They were opposing the teaching. And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and tend to bring this man's blood on us. What they're saying is you're telling everybody that we're the one that crucified him. Even though that's the truth, we don't like you're telling the truth. We oppose that. Then it goes on verse 33. It says, when they heard this, they heard Peter and John's rebuttal. said that we're going to do what God wants us to do. When they heard this, they were furious and plotted to kill them. They were opposed to what Peter and John were saying. And they go through. Galileo gives his, his kind of decree, gives his discussion, gives his wisdom. And it gets to the end. It says that they agreed with him. It says, well, you've got a good idea. And when they called for the apostles... We're still, we're still going to oppose them. We're going to beat them. And then they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. That's just three instances that we see the Sanhedrin court, people directly opposing the apostles working and being obedient to God. That's what Peter and John said in the Scripture. They said, don't you know, we must do what God wants, not what you want us to do. We must be obedient to what He has called us to do. We are His witnesses. We have witnessed who He is. We have witnessed what He has done. We go back to Matthew chapter 28, verse 15. We are called to go tell everybody everything that we've seen and we heard Him say and do. We are His witnesses. You may oppose us. You may not like that. But this is what we're called to do. And they were furious. They were furious at this testimony of what it was that they had come to do. Now understand this. I'm not saying that as Christians our goal our goal is to be always make enemies. That it should be our desire to frustrate and anger people. That's not what Scripture tells us. Scripture tells us, and I think it's Romans chapter 12, verse 18, it says, Live all possible to live peaceably with all men. But the reality is, and what Jesus has told us, what we see from Jesus' life himself, the perfect person had enemies. He was opposed. He was people that did not like him, did not want to have anything to do with him, did not want to be involved with him, just wanted him to be be done with. They wanted him to die. They opposed him. So we can try our best to live peacefully as we are called to do, but the eventuality that we will all face is that people will not like what we are doing when we are obedient to God. And they will be opposed to it. They will be against it. They will push back. And sometimes that opposition may be verbally. Sometimes it may be physically. It might be all kinds of different ways that they show their opposition towards us. But we will face that opposition. It's not like these disciples went and did this here in chapter 5. And they went through this trial. Gamaliel says this thing. And they all cooled their heels. And they treated them fine dandy the rest of their life. No. We see that continued just in a few chapters. We're going to read about how Stephen was stoned to death. He was opposed for the truth that he spread. Opposition to the Word of God, to the truth of God, to the life of Christ, His testimony, and His gospel. And has been around since before Christ even died and will be there until the day He returns. We will face opposition. We will be opposed. We will be not liked. We will be treated improperly sometimes. The gospel will not be received by some people, by some individuals, by some, some groups or corners of the world. Yet, we are still to share the gospel, even in the face of opposition. But, but why do people not want to receive the gospel? Why are they opposed to it? Because the truth of Christ in Scripture doesn't align with this world and its priorities and its desires. And when we present the gospel, 
when we present the truth of Scripture of who Christ is in the face of that which is indirectly in conflict with it, we will face opposition. And there will be those that do not like it. There will be those that do not receive it. And some will even turn towards us in an opposed fashion to get us to cease speaking the truth, to cease preaching the gospel. Yet we must still preach the truth and to preach the gospel. But what we must be aware of in the in light of that, what we, what we must be aware of when we face opposition is that that we need to understand that it's it's ultimately our message, what's going on, it can't be about me. It's not about me. When things go on and when things happen, I can't make it about me. Gamaliel gives two examples of, he gives these leaders, and basically he gives two examples of why they fail. In verse 37 38, I think it is, or 36 37, it says, For some time ago, Theodos rose up claiming to be somebody. A number of men, about 400, joined him. He was slain, and all who obeyed him were scattered and came to nothing. After this man, Judas of Galilee, rose up in the days of the census and drew away many people after him. He also perished, and all who obeyed him were dispersed. All right. We don't know. These are the only two times that I've found in Scripture that Theodos and Judas of the Galilean are mentioned in Scripture. What we do know about them is Theodos was probably a false messiah. He presented himself in a messianic figure. There's many of those. There's been many of those even before Christ came, after Christ came, and there'll still be more to come. Right? We understand that there'll be the ultimate one, the Antichrist, that revealed himself. But we see that he was a. We understand from historical things that he was a false messiah. Yeah, people follow him, right? Then we see Judas, the the Galilean. We understand that he was more of like a political revolutionary. He's trying to stir up people against Rome to get them to overthrow them, to get make Jerusalem free again, Israel free again, to be away from the rule of Roman the Roman Empire and everything. But we see that he had people and he he died as well. But we understand that that both of these these people amassed a, a sizable following. Both had people that strongly believed in what it was they taught. Both of these men died, probably at the hands of the Roman Empire. And then both of these groups, they dispersed to little relevance after that, that point, right? And what Gamaliel is saying is, is listen, we already killed Jesus. That's the thing that created the, the what made these other groups fall apart. Their leader was killed, their leader was died and everything. Everything else fell apart after that. We've already killed Jesus. He's already been crucified. Yes, there's some that say that he's been resurrected. Yes, we can't find the body, but, but he, he's gone. He's out of the picture. He says, leave it be, and then what comes of it will come of it, right? But Gamaliel himself gave evidence of why this was different, right? Of why following after Jesus, these disciples that, that proclaimed him, that talked about him, that taught about him, that preached his name, preached his gospel, baptized people in his name, that did all these things... He himself gives evidence of why what Jesus and the apostles were doing was different from what these uh, Theodos and Judas was doing. He says it right here in the scripture. For some time ago, Theodos rose up claiming to be somebody. Claiming to be somebody. A number of men, about 400, joined him. He was slain, and all who obeyed him were scattered and came to nothing. After this man, Judas of Galilee, rose up in the days of the census and drew away many people after him. After him, he also perished, and all who obeyed him were dispersed. Right? Gamaliel's pointing to this fact and this truth that was true even then, and that is true today. When our focus on trying to do something is about being somebody or being something in ourselves, 
or having power in ourselves or doing something in ourselves or having glory in ourselves or accomplishing something in ourselves. We may face opposition, and that opposition will usually come against us and have great success because we are not based on a firm foundation. He says the oldest wanted to be somebody. He had grand ambitions and big ideas, and he thought he knew better than everybody else, and he thought he could do whatever he wanted to, and he thought he could get people to follow him, make him some kind of ruler, make him some kind of entity, and he would have everything that he wanted. Yet it was that same inward-thinking selfishness that was what caused him to, to perish. Judas, he had all these good ideas and these good plans, and he talked a good game, and everybody liked to hear what he said, but he was solely focused on what he thought on what he had in himself and what he thought he could do, yet it was himself that fell and came short and the rest of his group came apart. How many times do we go and set about to do something, maybe even something that we deem is good or grand or beneficial, but we do it within ourselves and it ends up just being lost? It ends up just falling short. It ends up just falling apart. Nothing good comes out of it. Nothing beneficial comes out of it. We struggle with it. We have a hard time with it. We face opposition. And we just throw our hands up and quit because we start it and we try to do it within ourselves. Within our... Sales. This isn't just a ministry. This is in every area of life. If you decide to get a job because it's, don't, because it's what you think you, you need, not what God thinks you need, you're going to have a hard time with that, right? You enter into a relationship because it's what you think you need, not what God says you need. That's what you're going to have a hard time with that. You do this, that, and the other. You buy a house because it's the house you have to have, even though the Holy Spirit has told you that's not the house you need. You don't need to do that. You're going to have issues with it because you didn't follow the Lord and that you did what you thought was best. And when the... the what will happen, the opposition occurs, the pushback happens, things get rough, things go hard. You don't have anything to stand on because you entered into something on your own power and your own thoughts and your own volition and your own ideas and your own plans. And when opposition comes, you have nowhere to turn because I did this on my own. I chose this path myself. I walked this road by myself, even though I knew it wasn't the one God wanted for me, even though I knew it was deceitful or not right or not the thing that God desired for me, I still chose it. I still picked it. I still walked in that road. And it didn't lead anywhere good. It didn't lead where I thought it would. And when opposition came, because opposition always comes, I didn't know what to do. So what we see in in Theotis, and then what we see in, in Judas, is this type of hypocrisy of saying one thing, but then being solely focused on themselves. Because no no doubt, no doubt, we see here, Theodos came and says he's the Messiah. What does he say? He says, I'm the Messiah, follow me. I'll lead you to a good place. I'll help you be better. I'll help you do what needs to be done. Judas says, I've got all these plans and all these ideas. Follow me and I'll make a better thing. I'll make a better future for us. It's, he's saying, I'm focusing on you. However, Gamaliel says they're focusing on themselves. There was hypocrisy of saying one thing, yet being involved and trusting in another thing. And it's that hypocrisy that God does not want to see in the church, that has no place in the church, that God does not want for the church, right? We see that in the first part of this chapter. We talked about Ananias and Sapphira, right? They come in and they do all these things. They sell their stuff. And they they had some desire to be in the church, to be part of the group, right? But maybe they didn't have that same belief. They didn't have that same zeal as others. They said, well, everybody else is selling everything, so we've got to sell everything. But... But we're gonna we're gonna hold back a little bit. We're gonna say that we sold it for this much when we actually sold it for more than that, and, and we'll hide this other little bit away, and Peter won't know, and John won't know, and the apostle won't know. And it was hypocritical of what they were doing because they were saying one thing 
and they were doing another. And what we see is that God rooted out the hypocrisy within the church. He rooted out the hypocrisy that was Theotis and Judas and all these things, people that proclaimed to want to do these good things. Theotis claimed he was a Messiah. He claimed he was the Son of God. claimed that he was divine. God rooted the hypocrisy out. What we need to understand is that when we go through life, when we face opposition, we need to look at ourselves and say, is this opposition coming solely because I chose to do this and I shouldn't have chose to do this in the first place? Some opposition we invite by our own actions. Some opposition we invite because of the decisions we make. And we, we've talked about this time and time again, and it's something that I've tried to, to be cognizant of in my life, is that sometimes things come about in our life that are bad, that are negative, that we don't like, that we don't enjoy, that we don't want, not because of anything else, but solely because we made a decision solely based off of what we thought was best and what we thought we wanted and what we thought would be the best thing for our life or for what was going on. And then when the opposition came, it's because of the choices that we made. We can't make choices. We can't do things. We can't make plans. We can't go forward solely based off what we think we need. But we must acknowledge and look at what God wants for us. And we understand that it comes from God. Amen. It comes from God. Just as Gamaliel goes and he points to these examples of men that were selfish, that was their own desires that led to their own destruction. And because of that, there was God wasn't in it and it fell apart. And when it fell apart, nobody cared about it, right? They just moved on from it. But he makes a counterpoint, right? He makes a counterpoint. He says, And now I say to you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this work is of men, it will not, it will come to nothing. But if it is of God, you cannot overthrow it, lest you even be found to fight against God. He says, well, on one hand, there's some types of people that will try to get things and stir things up and do things and they do it of their own volition. Nothing will come of that. He says it will take care of itself. But he says on the other hand, when we are, if this person is really truly being obedient to God, if they're following in His footsteps, if, they're do, if, if Jesus was really who He says He was, these disciples are really who they say they are and they really truly believe what it is they preach, if that is a message from God, there is nothing we can do to prevail against it. There is nothing we can do to change it. There is nothing we can do to oppose it. We can push, we can kick, we can scream, we can fight it. But God's will will be done. God's will will be done. We as Christians need to become more aligned with the plans and designs that God has for our lives. What we see in churches, what we see in families, what we see in individuals a lot of times is we think we have a good plan and we think we have a good thought and we have a good idea. But what Gamaliel says and what all of Scripture confirms is that if God ain't in it, it ain't a good idea. And if God ain't in it, it's not a good plan. And if God ain't in it, it's not a good thought. We have to have God. All our decisions, all our understanding, all the roads that we walk, the paths that we take must come from a fear and acknowledgement of God understanding the Holy Spirit working through us. It must come from God. We may think that we have all the best plans and intentions and ideas and understanding, that we know the situation better than anybody else, that we have a better grasp of what's going on than anybody else. Who would know better what to do in this situation than me or this, that, and the other, right? God knows better. In my life, if I were to go and to do something and prepare a home or, or do something of that nature, 
where I don't want to go to somebody with that wisdom and that knowledge. I could go out without my own plan, try to figure out things on my own volition and my own knowledge. I think I've got enough to get through, enough to do what needs to be done, enough to make us make a good plan and to accomplish it. But guess what? If I want to do it the best way, the most effective way, the most cost-efficient way, and not go to Home Depot or wherever 14 different times and where it take an hour job and make it a whole weekend job, then you go to somebody who knows. You get wisdom from the one that knows. We can go and we can strive and we can push and we can do everything the hard way and the most difficult way to try to follow after God, to try to have a good church, have a good ministry, have a good family, have a good this, that, and the other, and and never acknowledge God in any part of it. And we might get inches closer at a time when God says, if you'd follow me, guess what? There's a better way. There's a more a way that's easier to accomplish. There's a way that's more effective. There's a way that's more efficient. There's a way that'll take you farther, that'll get you closer, that'll get you where you need to be. But the wisdom must come from God, right? Knowing what is from God and what comes from ourselves isn't always easy, right? Sometimes I can think of an idea and it seems pretty religious. And it seems like something that God might like. But if I fail to acknowledge the Holy Spirit in it, that and, and I just go on my own, even when the Holy Spirit says, hey, let's wait a minute. Let's pray about it. That I'm going off on my own. That's right. Just because something seems right doesn't mean it it is right we get to paul here in a couple of chapters i think chapter eight and paul was doing everything that seemed right he followed the temple he loved the temple he loved what it stood for what it was there for the laws he knew them people that came in and that would worship through that and offer their sacrifices he understood all of that and yet he thought the right thing to do was to oppose the christians right he didn't listen to the holy spirit working he didn't have a relationship with him so he goes about and he does his own thing, and it ends up being more destructive than helpful. However, we know that Paul or Saul ends up converting to Paul. But we can do that same kind of thing. Set about doing something that seems right, that looks good, that looks like the Christian thing to do, but that isn't, right? We talked in Sunday school last week. When, um, I was feeling ill for Gilbert. And we talked about interactions with people, right? And how certain interactions that we can do might seem like the right thing to do. It might seem like the right thing to do to to go and, and be very bo- not boastful, be very forward and be very aggressive with somebody dealing with sin, right? But that we need to listen to the Holy Spirit. That sometimes Holy Spirit speaks softly. Sometimes the Holy Spirit moves in a slow pace. Sometimes the Holy Spirit moves in a different way than just being aggressive in manner. Sometimes He does, though. So we have to be cognizant of what the Holy Spirit is speaking into our lives, right? And we need to be cognizant of all things. It might seem like a good idea to do this in the church, do this in your family, or do this as an individual. But if the Holy Spirit is not compelling you and leading you in that direction, you are liable to be destructive. You are liable to cause harm. You are liable to do cause pain in other people's lives and end up in a place where God did not want you. However, when we are aligned with God, when we are doing what He has called us to do, when we are being obedient to Him, when our wisdom, when our decision-making, when our understanding, when our thought processes, when everything comes from God, opposition will still come. But when we are aligned with God, when opposition comes, Isaiah 54, verse 17, I think it is, says, No weapon formed against you shall prosper. And every tongue which rises against you in judgment you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is from me, says the Lord. Isaiah 54, 17.
It doesn't say that the weapon won't be formed. It doesn't even say that the weapon won't be turned against you. It clarifies that. It will be formed. It will be turned against you. But it does say it will not prosper. Apply that to this scripture here. He didn't say that Peter and John and the apostles wouldn't have to go before the Sanhedrin court. He didn't say that they wouldn't try to oppose them. He didn't say that they would try to kill them. Wouldn't try to kill them. He didn't say that they wouldn't be thrown in jail. He didn't say that they would face things that others haven't faced. He didn't say that they would ha- come up against hard times and hardships and persecution and torture. We understand that the apostles, all of them are tortured and persecuted. Most of them died, but martyrdom of not of old age. Only John was the one that died of old age. We understand that. He didn't say that those things wouldn't happen. What he did say is that they would not prosper. Prosper, my understanding in this sense, is saying it will not accomplish what it set out to accomplish. You might say, well, the apostles died. Jesus died. Doesn't that mean that weapon prospered? No. It's through Christ's death that we receive salvation, right? It's through the apostles' martyrdom that it it engraved and hardened people to continue along the path that they had set about. It was through their deaths that their testimony was shared even more. So what it was meant to do in silencing them, it did the exact opposite and made their testimony greater. Right? So we may look at things. We're going to face opposition and people are going to come against us. It may be in your own home. It may be at your workplace. You may even feel opposition in church sometimes. Amen? Because we're all human people. That failing comes short and don't always do the things that we're supposed to do. However, if we assure that we are aligned with God, doing what He desires for us to do, being obedient to Him, that our decisions have been upright and righteous, that the things that we do have been tried to be obedient and close to Him, then we can know. So whatever opposition comes because of that, whatever people push against us because of that, whatever is said against us because of that, it will not prosper. It will not fulfill what it's set out to do. It will not silence your message. It will not put you down. It will not destroy your testimony. When we do what God has called us to do, when it comes from God, no weapon formed against us will prosper. The opposition will come. We don't want to make it seem like it won't. The opposition will be hard. Many times. The path forward will be difficult in seasons. The hardship will be very real. The burden very heavy at times. The path will be have its hills and valleys and rough parts. But when we are following after Christ, as, as Peter and John did, as, and as we see as, as Paul does later on, they face it again and again and again, and they go through it again and again and again, and they have struggles again and again and again, and they are opposed at every door that they go to, at every city they enter into, at every person they talk to. They face opposition at every turn, yet they continue to preach the message of the gospel. They continue to share the testimony of who Christ is. They continue to be obedient to the moving of the Holy Spirit because they know it's not in me, it's in Him. It's not what I can do, but what He can do. It's not what I can accomplish, but what He can accomplish. It's not in my my path, my plan, my ideas, my thoughts. I turn all that over to the Lord. And because of that, I can be confident that whatever comes against me, He has it. Whatever comes against me, He'll take care of it. Whatever opposes me, He'll be my shield. He'll be my guard. He'll be my protector. He'll be my comforter. Whatever I may face when I'm walking in the footsteps of Christ, Christ will be my defender. And He will be my protector. And He will be there with me. Amen. Amen.
we live in a world where we don't know what the future holds, right? I'm not going to be one that sits up here and says that, oh, you know, this is happening, this is happening, so the end of time is right around the corner. I don't know. Peter and John have been, and all the apostles are saying the end of time was coming 2,000 years ago, right? Only God knows the day and the hour is what Jesus said. But I do know that even in small ways and sometimes in grand ways, we will face opposition. It might, get, it might be a time where we face significant opposition in our daily lives, right, to follow after the footsteps of Christ. It might be something our children or grandchildren or great grandchildren see. I don't know. But we will face opposition in this life. And opposition sometimes, many times, almost all the times in my life, the opposition I faced, I would not have been able to overcome on my own. I would not have been able to get through of my own power, my own volition, my own ability. It was because that God was with me that I was able to face the opposition and move past the opposition. That the opposition didn't destroy me. Amen. You're going to face things in your life that without God by your side, it will destroy you. Without God on your side, it will weaken you and it will attack you and it will latch onto you and you will struggle to escape from it. That is the truth. We've seen it time and time again in Scripture, in our own lives, with people we love and cherish. We have seen this happen. So let us live our life, make our decisions, choose our paths from the wisdom that comes from God and the Holy Spirit so that He will be with us at every turn and every part of the way. And He will be there to take care of anything that may come against us. This does not mean that it won't happen. It does not mean that it won't won't be bad days. But it does mean that He will be there to protect you, to defend you, to deliver you, to guide you, work with you to get through it and not let it conquer you. Amen. These, these Sanhedrin court, this wasn't the first group of people that thought that they that were teaching a different way than the law. This wasn't the first group of people that come saying that they came from the Messiah, that they knew Him. This wasn't the first person that represented themselves as Christ did as the messianic figure, as the fulfillment of the law. This wasn't the first time they'd done this. They had killed and opposed and persecuted multiple, dozens upon dozens into the hundreds of people that had done this same thing. And they'd always won. They'd always accomplished it. They'd always beat them down. They've always shut them up. They always put the fire out. They always stamped it out. They thought, why can't we do it again? It'll work out again. But there was something different because it came from God. The world and the enemy will want to stamp you out, will want to hush you up, will want to take your testimony and drown it amongst all your fears and all your concerns and all your worries and all your sin and all your doubt and make it to where you are of little use to the kingdom of God. But let us follow God closely. Be obedient to Him closely. And do what He desires for us to do. And He will be our our guard, be our protector, be our defender, be the one that delivers us through all trials and all temptations. He will be at our side. Amen. I'm thankful for 